Workforce Health Engagement, Episode 14, The Six Drivers of Behavioral Engagement. Welcome to Workforce Health Engagement, a show exploring strategies to improve your employees' health and productivity and to protect your bottom line. Join us as industry experts discuss how to engage employees in population health management, wellness, and healthcare consumerism. This is a special series by the producers of the top-rated podcast, Engaging Leader. And now, with 20 years of experience as a communication consultant to Fortune 500 companies, helping engage hundreds of thousands of employees, here's your host, Jesse Leahy. Welcome to the show, Engagers, and welcome back to Workforce Health Engagement to my friend and colleague, Terry Sherwood. Hey, Jesse. Thanks for having me back. Glad to have you. Well, last time on episode 13, we talked about the four levels of engagement, uh, moving people from awareness to understanding to commitment and to action. And that, of course, we talked about how that has been ever way back decades ago, uh, has been a model that for uh, for leading change and through communications. And it's still a helpful model today. And we looked at examples that you would set for outcomes to for each of those levels and communication tactics that could help you. And so I encourage people to go back and check out episode 13. But in episode 14, which is the second part of the same conversation about how do we actually drive some behavior change, drive action, we're going to look at what do you do when you're talking about a more complex, deeper change that's needed. When the tactics that we talked about before was really in the in the context of a simpler action that we were trying to achieve, such as uh, getting more of your workforce to complete a biometric screening or to take a financial wellness online assessment. Now we're going to talk in this episode. We're going to talk about overall behavioral engagement. So we've gotten people to take a financial assessment, but we, we want people. What do we do? How do we get people to take? the actual actions that will improve their health results so that the next biometric screening they get is better? Or what do we do to help people take action to improve their financial wellness so that on next year's assessment, they're, they're further ahead. They're fur- take, they've taken a few steps closer to being actually financially well. And so we're looking at six drivers of behavioral engagement. Yeah, Jesse, this is, um, you know, this is a model that works for a tougher, uh, a tougher behavioral change, um, similar to the financial wellness, you know, actually putting plans into action and achieving financial wellness. Um, you can draw a parallel to uh, physical wellness, you know, getting people not just to get their annual biometric screening, not just to take the online health assessment, but to actually do something about the results, to start taking medication they need, to lose weight, to start exercising more or uh, eating better. All of those behavior changes are a much bigger challenge um, than the simpler ones that we discussed in the last episode. The model that we're discussing today is based on research done by David Maxfield and his colleagues at Vital Smarts. And we actually heard from David in an interview on the Engaging Leader podcast, episode 91, and when David walked us through this model. So I encourage folks to go check that out. You can find 
that on our website at engagingleader.com, and we'll provide a link to it in our show notes today. But this conversation is going to be today is specifically about workforce health engagement. How does this model work in terms of the issues that come to play when you're talking about health engagement? So there's six drivers in the model that we're talking about today, drivers of behavioral engagement. Um, and there's, it's helpful to think about it in terms of two parts, the motivation part and the ability part. And each of those parts has three drivers as part of that. So first of all, Terry, why do we look at motivation and ability? Why are those two so important when it comes to behavior change? Well, they're they're really two sides of the same coin, I think. Um, Motivation is really about making me want to do this thing, making me want to take on this difficult behavior change. And then ability is helping me do it. If I'm motivated, I still have to be able to do it. And there's a good chance I'm going to need some support and resources to do that. And David Maxfield talks uh, at length about that in his book, Influencer, The New Science of Creating Change. But he's, uh, he, he and his company are not the first that have basically reduced m- motivating change to driving change to these two components. For example, uh, another well-known model today is the, the BJ Fogg model that breaks things down to motivation and ability. People have to want to do something and they have to be able to feel that they're able to do it or that it's easy to do. Right. Now, in the context of organizational change or even, I mean, as David talks about, if you're even be outside your organization, if you're trying to influence an entire community or an entire globe, there are three, uh, three spheres, if you will, uh, that affect both motivation and ability. And those are the structural sphere, the personal sphere, and the social sphere. And um, in our show notes for this episode on our website, engagingleader.com, we'll show this visual so it'll make it easier to see. Um, it'll, it'll feel a lot, lot simpler. But it's basically three concentric circles for structural, personal, and social. And then it's then divided into half with motivation on the left and ability on the right. So let's, so, so first of all, let's talk about the motivation side. And then what does the structural motivation look like? What does personal motivation look like? And what does social motivation look like? So first of all, structural motivation. Terry, what, we have kind of a tagline or a, a phrase that helps us remember what that's about. That's right, Jesse. The, the tagline for the structural motivation sphere is make it default. Um, and in healthcare, uh, that one really good way to do that is to is with plan design. Um, so, for example, most companies have preferred networks, and you want to drive people to those networks. So, built into the plan design are um, you know higher levels of coverage, lower copays, um, and maybe additional services covered by those providers that are not covered by out-of-network providers um, that just build in a default structural motivation to exhibit that behavior. So if I go to the preferred, and we're not just talking about PPO, but if I go to uh, like a super exclusive network, these are, these are the, the hospitals or doctors that are really collaborating with the overall healthcare program to improve, to, to practice medicine 
in a more in a more proactive way that we in a more integrated way. Uh, if if our employees will go there, we'll give them a higher level of benefits or a lower copay, for example. Right, that's right. And we have a we work with a company that uh, has a very aggressive approach to offering that kind of network. Um, they uh, have a very limited, narrow network of what they consider the best, most collaborative providers, and all services uh, except emergency room are covered at a hundred percent when employees use those providers. Another example of structural motivation, where it's making it more the default behavior is when you have a, an incentive that drives the action. So, for example, uh, the, the client you're just talking about doesn't do this, but we have another large client that has pretty high incentives for people to both get a biometric screening right. and, secondly, to take certain actions based on that. So uh, if they, they get a biometric screening and their spouse gets a biometric screening and they... Um, sign up for uh, one or more healthy living programs. They um, participate in uh, a gamified um, health uh, activity level, uh, such as Sonic Boom or Kiosk. Um, they do those kinds of things. They they get uh, the reductions in their employee premium contribution, and it'll it actually is it, it will add up to a thousand dollars per employee at this client. And it has driven, in their very first year, they achieved 97% participation in biometric screenings, even though it's, a, it's actually a manufacturing client spread all over the country. So it's just amazing sometimes what, uh, what an incentive do, can do um, or, or these just any type of structural motivation. Yeah, and sometimes it's a disincentive. I think we're increasingly seeing companies tie, for example, their healthcare premiums to achieving um, specific results, such as uh, levels, BMI levels, um, and weight levels, and smoking. You know, smoking and non-smoking have been around for a long time, but really tying uh, behaviors and results to uh, their plan design. Yes. Now, I think I want to hasten to say that. That in those incentives, if they are, if they're too much extrinsic, if they're too extrinsically motivating and not intrinsically motivating, they there may be some short-term gain, but uh, over time it can actually backfire, or even in the short term it can backfire. So it's something that you want to uh, carefully weigh and consider this as just one leverage. I just made, I know I just got done making it sound like all they did was implement these incentives and they got 97% participation. <laughs> and there was, there, there was, I was oversimplifying. There was a lot more to that, but I was saying that that was a key component of their strategy. And so far anyway, it seems to have worked. Now, personal motivation, our tagline for that is make it what they want to do. If structural motivation was making it the default, personal motivation is making it what they want to do. And so one, uh, one thing to do there is to create proper branding, the whole graphic identity, the visual look and feel, the colors and the fonts, and what kinds of images do we use or lack of images, and what kinds of uh, words do we use, uh, that actually appeals to those inner motivators that people have, the intrinsic motiv motivations. What are other types of uh, personal motivation drivers? 
Uh, a good one is stories. You and I love a good story uh, because they work, and uh, we use them for lots of different purposes. And and this is this is one of them. So stories of people who have done what we're asking them to do, who they respect, uh, or who will make them believe they can do it too, and provide some motivation. So stories of fellow employees, stories of leaders in the companies, executives sharing their stories um, that provide people with really good anecdotal information from people who've already done this hard thing. Yes. And so with branding and stories, other things you'd consider would be messages, key messages, uh, and visuals. You want to craft, identify those and craft the right branding and messages and stories and so forth that links to the satisfaction the goals, the values that are would be motivating personally to your target audience, to your employees. And then also in this category of personal motivation would be triggers that make you want to act now. Because you may sort of, we, we may motivate you to have the right intentions. Uh, yeah, that would be a good thing to do at some point. But there's still just that, what, what's going to motivate you to take action right now? And I just think of Facebook and some of the things that, that Facebook does really well that gets you to motivate, that, that gets you to take action right now. Hey, you, you know, you get, you get a, a notification. Hey, John posted a photo of you. And you just can't, you can't help but go f- see what the heck you got tagged in. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I try to, only, try to stay away from Facebook. Uh, if I try not, not to go there more than once or twice a week because you just get, they got so many good triggers that suck you in and before you know it, you've blown an hour. So that, that there's lots of good examples from Facebook about how to trigger people to take action now. Right. And then social motivation, our tagline is make it the norm. What kinds of levers do we, do we pull there to make that happen, Terry? Yeah, this is, this is a broader level of, of making it what I see and feel every day. So um, in, a, in a company environment, it gets at culture. So we create a culture where people are exhibiting the kind of behaviors um, we're looking for. So in the example of a wellness program, we create a culture where there are walk-in clubs at lunchtime and there are uh, Weight Watchers at work meetings and people um, are just continuously behaving and exhibiting the behaviors uh, we want for the company. And we can't say enough about the importance of opinion leaders. Um, Sometimes they're the executives. It's always a good thing to see the leaders of the company exhibiting the behaviors you're asking all employees to exhibit. Um, But there are lots of other folks throughout, you know, sprinkled throughout the company who can be really powerful as well, depending on your environment. Um, In manufacturing environments, it's often, you know, the plant uh, manager, the direct supervisors, Um, direct managers in any environment usually have a pretty uh, powerful influence over the people who work for them. So, so getting them on board and getting them to exhibit the behaviors and be your opinion leaders um, is, is a really, really good thing to do. And in the specific health category of wellness, we've also seen it be very effective when companies have location-based wellness committees or wellness teams. Right. And because usually at any given location, there's somebody who has just become very passionate 
recently and is a great evangelist for people to choose healthy foods to get uh, the physical activity that's that's needed and they can both be a good sounding board um, you can involve them as you're evaluating things that you might want to implement on a corporate level uh, they can be early reviewers of communication materials but they can also be great at deciding what might get implemented at their location because now you're involving somebody there there's a lot it's a lot more likely to be effective so one of the things that we've seen be very effective is to provide a menu of options uh, for wellness programs that could be implemented and rather than forcing them on locations let those wellness communities decide hey this year we're going to do these one or two things this year we're going to bring in Weight Watchers, and we're going to transition to a tobacco-free campus, for example. And when the decision is based locally, wow, it's a lot more motivating. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. So those are the three levels of what we would call social motivation. And what's important here is uh, that if if you've got a gap in any of these areas, you're change effort can fail. So it's not just that this is sort of a checklist to provide uh, good ideas. You want to evaluate what you're planning to do or maybe what's you evaluate what you've been doing for the last year or two and see, do we have any holes here? Uh, and if so, maybe that's why we haven't seen the results that we were hoping for. Maybe we aren't yet making it default, the default behavior. Uh, maybe we're not making it what they want to do and maybe we're not making it the norm. As we helped one client think through some of these issues, we found that where one area they were lacking was the social motivation part. And we talked through some of the ideas that, that Terry and I just shared about. But there was um, two things that were missing a bit. One was the sort of, we talked a little bit about formal leaders, but I mean, about opinion leaders, but this company hadn't really yet gotten the formal leaders involved in their wellness efforts. So you you didn't have employees truly believing that the company cared because they may have been hearing it from the benefits department or the the health and wellness staff, but they didn't really hear these messages or see their act the CEO and other formal leaders acting that way. And another thing that was missing was just um, viral stuff that gets people talking. So they, they, they were, had a, a great opportunity to, to do things like some humorous videos or just really visual, visually engaging videos that was easy for people to share and talk about. So we, we, uh, that, that was just a few examples of how you can almost t- use this as a, an assessment of what you're currently doing and where you might have some gaps. So that's, those are the three spheres for motivation. Now, ability, the three spheres, again, are going to be structural, personal, and social. Terry, what's our tagline for structural ability? It's make it easy, and this is my favorite one in the whole model. Um, if you take nothing else away, make it easy for people to do what you're asking them to do. Um, you know, we have so many online tools and on-site resources and external resources available to us. And 
if we can just make sure people are aware those are available, make sure that they align with what we're trying to accomplish, that people don't, don't go in there and get conflicting messages from what we've been saying. For example, if you're, you know, that happens sometimes, Jesse, we see that in wellness, right? So we're sending certain communications messages um, about how often you ought to exercise or uh, guidance on a particular food group. And then we link them out to a third-party vendor tool that says something completely different. So mm -hmm. we have to really be careful and make sure the messages are aligned um, and, uh, and that the information is easily accessible. We want it to be easy for people to learn what they need to know and do what they need to do. Yeah, and also I think it's helpful to evaluate if you if online tools are a part of what you're offering, are there things that are getting in the way about are there things about those tools that are not making it easy? So, for example, do your employees have to have three different passwords just to get into yeah. something? Uh, maybe you need to invest in a single sign on solution or uh, do, do are your online tools um, smartphone friendly? Are you making it easy for people to interact with them the way that they want to? Yeah, those are good examples. We talked about triggers earlier. We talked about triggers that motivate people, but there's another kind of triggers that make it easy for you to act now because there are certain types of action that you're only going to take at the appropriate moment. And so it, you're making it easy to, for people when you remind them uh, at, the, at, the, at the point that they need to take action and give them a link, for example, if it's, a, if it's an electronic action that they need to take. In the personal ability sphere, our next um, category, the tagline is equip them to do it. So we've talked about making it easy and, um, and giving them the tools and resources. So expanding on that, if we really want people to change difficult behaviors, um, we have to do more than just give them a few online tools. We've got to give them some training, some skills training, really, on uh, how to do this new behavior. So things like webinars, workshops, even if you have the, uh, the capacity to do it, um, particularly with physical changes like exercising and, and nutrition, one-on-one um, -on -one coaching is a, is a really great resource. So whatever it is that will give people the tools and skills they need to make the change, provide as much of that as we can. And people tend to discount how important skill training is and skill practice. And yet when you think about, let's say, Olympic athletes, that is what makes the difference between the average amateur caliber and an, an Olympic caliber is the actual practice that they're putting into it. And that's what their coaches, they have these highly paid coaches and their coaches are ha having them practice and watching what they're doing and then helping them tweak it. And so it's you know, just having someone sit through uh, a quick tutorial it often isn't enough. It, if you can actually do some kind of on-site workshop or seminar or online workshop or seminar that where people are taking some action, getting some kind of evaluation and, and having a chance to improve, it can make a big difference. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, if, if ongoing coaching and support can be available, because, you know, some of these these things we're asking people to change, they're not easy and they often fail the first 
one, two, or three times that they tried. And I think, you know, sm- quitting smoking is a, a really good example. I think the statistic is that the average person uh, fails to quit four times before they succeed. So if all we're doing is providing some sort of, you know, arm's length tools to them, um, they might give up after a try or two and think they can't do it. Whereas you have, if you have continuous support and coaching, um, they're more likely to get back on the horse and try it again and, and eventually succeed. That's right. Okay. And the sixth and final driver of behavioral engagement is social ability. And our tagline for that is help them do it. So we've made it easy. We've equipped them. Now we're actually going to help them do it. Social is a big part of, of, of helping people do it. Yeah, I think this is, you know, it, it's really, uh, it overlaps a bit with the with the personal ability, the equip them to do it, help them do it is really at a broader level with the company where you've created culture, for example, of health, where everybody's doing this, or, or, or you see people uh, behaving in the way uh, that we're trying to drive, and you've created classes, and group classes, for example, you maybe it's Weight Watchers at work, maybe it's walking at lunch, maybe it's uh, bike rides on the weekend, uh, but things that they're doing with their coworkers that have now become part of the culture and part of their social environment. Um, again, sharing stories, and uh, lots of companies do things like mentoring and, and creating a buddy system uh, to keep people accountable, to keep people motivated and provide that ongo- ongoing support I was just talking about. Yeah, you think of Weight Watchers or you think of, let's say, the um, Financial Peace University, right. where, which is focused on financial wellness, where it's, it's a work site-based program where people are, they're, they're both learning, but um, there, there's also this sort of uh, group accountability and group camaraderie, and you can talk about your frustrations. You can talk about, well, I did this and it didn't work, uh, but you also can have someone that is going to be expecting you to show up next week with with uh, your your uh, maybe your food diary completed or maybe your financial budget completed, and so that you're ready to to talk about it. So that this there's something about it's kind of like how. Uh, with with any topic that's out there, you could there's a book available that you could learn uh, the topic yourself. But still, s- most of us go off once a year to some kind of uh, seminar or workshop or something to be physically present and to learn something to get some kind of on-site class because it's the it's the social aspect of it that that helps us do it. It's not just we're not all by ourselves trying to make something happen. We've got some um, a bit of peers around us. And when you do it at the work site, it's not just helpful to the person, it's also helping shape the culture. Yeah, it really is the Weight Watchers model um, for losing weight, and it can apply to lots of different behavior change, but it's it's the group setting, it's the social aspect, it's the accountability and the ongoing support, and it can be duplicated for lots of different um, changes, but it works. It's the reason they're the the number one most successful weight loss program in the country. That's right. Ba- maybe the world. All right. So we've looked at the six drivers of behavioral engagement, structural motivation, personal motivation, and social motivation, and also structural ability, personal ability, and social ability. Uh, if you are 
pretty sure that you've got a communication strategy and an overall strategy that is going to be successful on all six of those points, you can be pretty confident that your effort, your change effort is going to be successful. If you've got some gaps, then you're taking, you've got some risks there. So this is a good model to uh, use in your planning and evaluation purposes. So that wraps up this episode of Workforce Health Engagement. Thanks for joining us to all engagers. And thank you again, Terry Shirtwood, for getting back together with us. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for having me. All right, engagers. Just a reminder, if you haven't already checked out the visual model that we've been talking through, I encourage you to go to our show notes and take a look at that. It'll make it a lot more straightforward. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash WHE14, as in Workforce Health Engagement, Episode 14. And while you're on the show notes page, you can engage with us by providing your thoughts or questions in the comments section or by clicking the red Send Voicemail button. You can also engage with us at facebook.com forward slash engagingleader or on Twitter where I am at Jesse Leahy. Workforce Health Engagement is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications, helping midsize and large employers attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results in several areas, not only health engagement, but also talent management, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. If you enjoy this series, be sure to check out the leadership podcast, Engaging Leader, where my guests and I share ways to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. You can find both Workforce Health Engagement and Engaging Leader podcasts in iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, over the long term, a programmer of the day won't help you boost employee health, productivity, and your bottom line. For sustainable success, you need an integrated approach to workforce health engagement. Mm-hmm.